Hi, Mage fans. This is Terry Robinson with Mage the Podcast, and today's episode is the audio edit of an Ascension Con 2020 Mage Retrospective panel. The original version was about three hours long, and I trimmed it significantly, and a slightly longer version will be available on the Mage the Podcast YouTube channel this weekend. Uh, I'll include that link in future show notes once I have it. Uh, thank you to Thomas Shaner for letting us post that. The panel was a retrospective on Mage over the ages and included Nikki Ray, Jackie Cassida, Travis Williams, Jess Heinig, Satyrus Filbricato, James Sobrano, Echo Chernick, Mark Jackson, and Bill Bridges. With 10 people on the call, editing was kind of tricky, and sometimes Nikki was very hard to hear, and sometimes people talked on top of each other. I tried to clean it up as best I could. I also wanted to thank our supporters up front and say that I've uploaded an episode of what I'm calling tentatively So What's Your Plan, which is a general RPG interview show that I'm trying to do about once a month for backers and supporters of the show. For now, I'm putting it up on the executive producers channel in our discord but may try to move everything to patreon at some point to make things like that easier and that also seems to be kind of where all this stuff goes these days um, this episode was made possible from the support of our executive producers who are anders andrew k andrew e brendan bryce perry chris p chris zach ira grace jenna f justin john magnuson michael parker richard bat brewster and william Thanks. On with the show. Everything seems to be broadcasting. Thank you, James. Everything Yay. seems to be recording on my end. That was interesting. Thank you, Thomas Shaner, for arranging for all of this. Thank you, Satteros, for calling upon the mighty power of your Rolodex to assemble this. And thank you, guests so far who've made the game we are all here to appreciate uh, possible in its manifold form from designer to writer to fiction to, uh, to system to art. Since this will be going out as an audio podcast, if we could just do a, a brief round of introductions so people could maybe associate a voice with a person. <laughs> I, I'm going to cheat and start with who I have in the upper left-hand corner and go from there. Uh, our first guest is uh, Travis. You're Travis Williams, I believe? Yes. Okay, yes. cool. Travis Williams, or a very early mage writer. What was your first mage project? Wolf Mage. Mage. <laughs> Everyone that was at White Wolf at the time had to be had to be a designer and writer, as well as uh, everything else. So I did that. I was PR. You know, I ran a warehouse as well. If you didn't have at least two hats at White Wolf, you weren't pulling your weight. That's that's how mage came down. I mean, it was you know being there from really before Vampire. Mage was like the third swing at bat. And I distinctly remember when it when when Stuart handed us Mage, we were like, okay, look, Stuart, we're smart. We're really smart, but we don't understand a lot of this. <laughs> so if we want this to fly, we're gonna have to take what you've got, which is great, and make it usable. So the first project really was was taking the fire, uh, you know, uh, from from the gods and making sure that everyone else could understand. It. It's also Travis's character on the front of every edition of Mage. <laughs> yep. <laughs> to, to quote Richard Thomas, Travis was put on this earth to let the rest of us know what cool really looked like. I think was the interview <laughs> snippet I had with him. Um, <laughs> next, I have is Jackie Casada and Nikki Ray. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, what were your earliest involvements in Mage? First of all, for everyone, it's Cassada, not Cassada. It's like the Irish Cassidy. Mm. Yeah, which is Mage Stranger because I have a Cuban mother. So <laughs> anybody who knows I'm half Hispanic assumes the last name is Hispanic, and it's not. It comes from my Irish dad. 
Yeah, let Nikki start that out because she had the she had a very weird intro to gaming writing. Well, I was I was already writing for things like TSR and stuff like that, but you know I was just accompanying Jackie down to Atlanta to talk with some people because they wanted her to be writing. They had no idea I wrote, and I was riding in a car with Phil, and we were going out to have lunch, and I happened to say that I really enjoyed reading something that he'd written. That was the Black Furies. Was it the Black Furies? And I said that I was amazed at how sensitively yet evocatively he wrote the female in in his work. And he said something like, oh, well, thank you. And then he said something about, and Nikki said, and Jackie said something like, oh, you know, Nikki writes too. And Phil said, oh, you do. And I said, yes. And he said, um, well, uh, Sam Chubb is having a little problem with this Verbena book he's supposed to be writing. Do you think he could get me something in two weeks? Sure, Phil. Okay. That sounds fun. The answer is always sure. <laughs> but that that was almost as much fun as, as doing the Hong Kong book. Hong Kong by night, which is I think in a way how maybe how we came into Mage. I can't keep the, the chronology straight, yeah. but everything that happened happened a couple of years ago. So a couple of years ago, Nikki and I were working on Hong Kong by night, and we'd never really written anything for Vampire. And so all of a sudden, here we were with the Kujin, and we were doing this whole new system. We were writing about, it was a world of darkness, Hong Kong, so it covered all the gaming systems. And it was still going on, uh, the political situation. We were actually supposed to predict politically what would happen after Hong Kong went from Britain to China because we were writing at a time, you know, it was set when uh, the Chinese were already administering Hong Kong. So we were having to be political forecasters. We were writing Kuijin at the same time Phil was developing the magic system and we would get emails from him every now and then going, oh, I've changed this. This is how this works now. And <laughs> We would go back to the drawing board. We were creating the Shen characters from Jim Moore's description of them. notes, which included just basically the lexicon. So we created those those characters out of the lexicon. And somewhere along there, we were writing some rituals for Hong Kong and Rob Hatch liked them so much he put them in the Kujin core rule book. Meaning we had to come up with more stuff for just our book. Wow. But uh, yeah, he, he gave us actually writer's credits for the <laughs> um, Kujin book. But somewhere along the line, we also got involved in, in going, I went from Werewolf, which is where I started, thank you, Bill, so much, for Rage Across Appalachia. But we went from, I went from there to writing for Wraith and, and basically writing anything anyone would ask me to write at one point. <laughs> I think I actually referred to both me and Nikki as white wolf sluts because we <laughs> really, if you asked us, yeah, you asked us to do it, you know, we'd, we'd find a way to come up with it. And so I, I think I remember working on the um, Dream Speakers. I think we, we worked a little bit on that at mm -hmm. some point. You wrote that. The two of you wrote that yeah, one. Yeah. The, two of, yeah. the two of you and I wrote okay. that one. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Getting a little old. And uh, that was such a cool one. I, I remember there was one uh, reference in there to the, I was trying to be so thorough in my research. And I remember calling Phil because he had referred to some Oh, character as Momo something or another in the, the Momo Australia. Dreamlands. Yeah, the yeah. Momo Dreamlands. And, and I was like, yeah. I just made it up. And I told <laughs> it Bill and he said, well, I just made it up. 
And I went, I went, we can do that? <laughs> and so, you know, all the research books went us out to the floor, you know, and it's like, we're making shit up now. <laughs> Next, I have Ceteris Filbricato. What's your involvement with Mage, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> I am that damn Mage guy. I even tried to disassociate myself with Mage for a few years, which is one of the places where, where uh, the Seder Sadaro's name came from. Because when I had you know, left White Wolf, I was like, fuck it, fuck all of it, and formed my own company and wanted a whole new identity and everything. But as I later discovered, in large part thanks to people like James, that Mage throws a very... I just say throws a shadow because that 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 has negative implications. Mage's legacy is pretty fucking awesome, and mm-hmm. by way of of people like James and our, our friends Adonis and Hadis and Nina uh, and Joanna and you know, late girlfriend Coyote, I, I learned that Mage's legacy had inspired people, you know, while I was off creating Deliria and then trying to quit the role-playing game industry altogether, that there were these people who were growing up with Mage who I would occasionally run across. And they'd be like, my God, this game like changed my life. So eventually, in, in large part thanks to, uh, to Rich Thomas, I healed my breach with the World of Darkness and with White Wolf and eventually with Mage. And then... Uh, since then, now to Mage 20, and I just had to step off as the line developer, such as that means at this point, because again, it was Mage is wonderful and it is a I'm huge responsibility. Phil, like, if there was ever two things that were inexorably tied, it's you and Mage. Hell yeah. There's <laughs> so much you that. You know, it's it's crazy, and 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 Mage wouldn't be what it is if 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 you weren't you know the developer, and so the fact that it has impacted people as much as it has, I encourage you to sort of embrace that dude because it is not many people can say that you know they they've given that much. That's dope. That that's huge. Thank thank you thank you so much for that, Travis. Because especially lately, that that's that's huge. I really appreciate that. So yeah, the whole that damn mage guy thing came out of a joke that I made to, to my housemate. And I just said, you know, he'd, he'd asked me for, for Mage Made Easy, which is my most recent uh, mage book. He'd said something. I was like, he was trying to introduce people to this, this 700 page tome. And I was, I, I was bouncing ideas off him. And he's just like, you should make a book out of that. I'm like, I think I'm going to. And they're like, Mage Made Easy by, you know, I don't know, that damn mage guy. And Sandy and and Zach, our housemates, started laughing, and I was like, "Yeah, maybe I'll keep that." And I, I made a joke about it on the Mage group on Facebook, and they laughed. And I was like, "Okay, I guess that's it then." So now I've just been referring to myself. Next, we have Jess Hennig. Hennig, how do I pronounce it? Hennig. Hennig. Um, yes. And what's your question for me, moderator? Uh, my question for you, as moderator, is what was your and how did you get involved with Mage? So. Folks who were around back in the day will remember that there was a couple of periods where White Wolf went through various shakeups because of financial difficulties or personal issues between employees or who knows what. I wound up being the guy who was thrown into the deep end of the pool after Phil's tenure on <laughs> Mage Second Edition. And one of the the realities of, of developing role-playing games in the 90s and the aughts was that you'd release your big core book and then you start releasing supplements and splat books and what have you and try to get a long tail on your game a lot of sales for all these things but typically people would like buy 40 percent of the the sell-through rate for for books 
compared to what you would get for your core book. And what that comes down to is that White Wolf was like, we need to refresh our core books every once in a while so that we can sell them again. We want to do a new edition of Mage because we just did a new edition of Vampire and a new edition of Werewolf. And there was a lot of arguing about like, well, Mage doesn't, doesn't really need a new edition. Would it benefit from a new edition? In the midst of all this politics, I got sort of plucked out as the, the person that could be agreed upon. Phil was like, yeah, I, I've worked with Jess and, and he's an all right guy. And the, the management at White Wolf was like, oh, Jess has been working here for six months. Yes, we can get him to do what we want. Uh, and so they yeah, agreed yeah. <laughs> that I would be uh, picked to work on Mage Revised. And that became obviously a, a hot topic. And I spent several years sort of stumbling through the dark, trying to follow in Phil's footsteps as a, a mage developer for the revised edition of the game, which had a lot of, of strong attempts to sort of steer the ship in a different direction and change the priorities of what the game was talking about, all while learning the craft of being a developer. So that was a kind of a crazy time. I think it's a good way to summarize that. Yeah, I'm not going to say edition wars are dead, but they've certainly calmed down from what I remember in the early 2000s, thank goodness. Indeed. Uh, next we have Echo, uh, last name? Chernick. Chernick. That's um, right. Uh, um, actually, in the mage days, I went by H.J. McKinney. Uh, this, I've been an illustrator for uh, about 30 years now, and this is so getting into mage was, I was literally in college. Um, my very, very first actual illustration job was for Wraith, for the player's guide, actually. And um, so I started, you know, I was really excited, and I'm living in New York City, and, you know, and, and we're, we're, we're gaming, um, and it was just a really exciting time in my life. And then, of course, I met Phil through on Wraith, and he went, I love this artist, I love the work, and so he wanted me to work on, on Mage, and I was exploring Art Nouveau early on, and, art, and Mage is awesome for Art Nouveau, lots of decorative elements, lots of natural elements and things, and, uh, and I said before that he was like, my muse, it was his passion for the game and his passion for the artwork and his just passion for everything that was very inspiring. So it's um, it just an awesome time to live, you know, in this awesome city with all the people, most of the people that are in my pieces are fellow gamers of mine or fellow friends of mine or, and I've kept in touch with a lot of them because, you know, the only people I found I've kept in touch with throughout the years are people I actually played with. Yeah. So I, so I ended up putting a lot of time and a lot of work into doing these illustrations for something that we were all really, you know, excited and passionate about. And I guess the best known contemporary part of that is, did you do all of the characters that are part of the M20 uh, storyteller screen? Or I, I know at least several I of them so. are yours. Okay. Bill, did I? <laughs> did I do all of them? I can't remember. <laughs> it's not until this call that I realize it. You're the same artist. And now I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> I, cha I actually changed my uh, I changed my yeah. name to, and when I when I started doing commercial work, um, but I've done advertising work for the last 25 years or so. Uh, so basically, I did I did Mage and Wraith at the beginning when I first got out of college, and I the reason I did that is I had, I spent the senior year of um, Pratt studying black and white illustration because I knew I wanted to illustrate right out of college. I knew I didn't want to like go get a job as a barista or something, which is fine. But, you know, I, I wanted to illustrate. This is what I was going to do. Um, and I was going to live in a super expensive city and make a living as an illustrator. So um, so I went ahead and I spent the entire senior year studying black, all the different forms of black and white illustration. And when I did my senior survey, which is like your portfolio review thing, I put up all these pieces um, and I got hired by Wraith to, to do that piece. And then that just 
went into mage and world darkness and everything from there and then which led on to other things and, and that was absolutely awesome and i wanted to spend that part of my career figuring out how much work i could handle how you know how to handle my deadlines in case i screwed up and i and i missed deadlines i could do it in the gaming industry rather than in the you know in the advertising industry which is i thought it was going to be a lot well, worse for missing deadlines. So then I did advertising for a long time, and then I realized, hey, I really miss gaming work. And so that, then I ended up contacting Shadowrun, which because we played we played Shadowrun for the last twenty five years or so, getting back into gaming work. And now I do advertising work, my own work, and the gaming work that I want to do, just the ones that are my favorite, which is mostly Mage and, and Shadowrun. So I remember when I was sp- <coughs> uh, speaking with James for an interview, he was like, "Yeah, we need a, a piece by." By Echo, and I'm like, oh, I, I only know this person's art recently. How are we going to find anything? But their style looks really familiar to some stuff I remember in second edition. I wonder if they're expired. And James is like, they're the they're the same person. I'm like, this makes vastly more sense now. And, yep. Yep. It amazes me how people can say they can see my stuff on like the Celestial Seasonings tea boxes, which is like the dragon and the koi, and then they see my stuff in Shadowrun, and they know it's the same person. And they see my old mate. Oh, you're the person that did this stuff for Mage. I'm like, how do you know that 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 looks nothing alike? Because it's the sexiest tea box anyone has ever seen. That's, that's how. And finally, uh, James Sombrano, a uh, recurring guest to, to Mage the Podcast. How did you get attached to the uh, Mage, Mage franchise? I love that I'm last because I'm like one of the most recent writers. I only started in the 20th edition stuff. The way that I got involved was that I, I was at a convention locally here in Seattle. And I was going over just like, I was just at my hotel room, just like, who's a guest? Because I didn't even look before I went. I just went. And, I, and I'm going over the names. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Phil Bacrano is here? And like, I immediately like went to like literally every panel he was on. He was there with Brian too. Brian was there. And pretty much embarrassed myself by gushing about how much I loved all of the work. And particularly Mage. I, I talked about Werewolf too, but particularly Mage and how important it was to me. And my partner at the time was like, we're going to go buy him a drink because you've been talking about him all weekend and that's what we did and then we've been friends ever since but like it did start in like me totally fanboying out about this work and eventually the the next year the word about 20th being done was at least in his head it had come to him but not like been big like hugely announced and he started just talking to me about like what are we going to do with this and and like but my feeling was like i ended up being kind of like a sounding board yeah you really were and there's like literally one sentence in mage 20th that i wrote <laughs> like we we were hanging out like almost every month at that like, period of yeah. time like i was coming down to hang out and like we would go over talk about stuff or like you would send me like what you were writing and i'd be like here's what i see and then eventually that just turned into me starting to write on it i think even though there's one sentence in there that's my i think there's my first official credits are in gods and monsters yeah, uh, no, it's uh, uh, Truth Beyond Paradox. Oh, right. No, yes. That's that's the first thing I actually did something on. I forgot. I have a little short story in there about what it's like to awaken with a terrifying avatar. I really wanted to have Mage be, you know, not a welcome back to the 90s thing, but a having seen the legacy, like we were talking about a little earlier that Mage has had, I'm like, I want something that's going to be really important to our world and our reality wars now. And a big part of that was getting past uh, the preconceptions and cultural blind spots and awful things that we occasionally did back in the 90s when we either didn't know any better or couldn't fix any better. And James has been part of that. Uh, Hiromi, who I'd wanted to get Hiromi in on this, but I haven't heard back from them, um, has been part of that. Uh, Jacqueline Brick has been part of that. Uh, Adonis Galatis has been part of that. Hi, Mark. If you'd like to uh, unmute yourself and introduce yourself, our opening question is just, how did you get involved in MAGE? I actually, fellow students, undergrad, I was grad undergrad 
Chris DiNardo, I think, had been working on Werewolf and was running a vampire game that uh, a bunch of us were playing in. And he had asked at some point, why aren't you working for White Wolf? And I said, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And he was kind enough to take me to Tucker before I graduated and introduced me to Rich and uh, Larry, a couple other guys. I hadn't met you yet, Bill. And uh, they looked at my stuff and they remembered me from various conventions and said, it's about time you started working for us. And so they got me started with Tales of the White Wolf. Elric was the first thing I did, which is great because he's my favorite character from Sword Ooh. and Sorcery. So yes. after that, uh, they gave me Iteration X. That was the first Mage thing that I worked on. And uh, after that, I was I was hooked. I loved working on Mage and I really enjoyed working with White Wolf. Nice. The first question I have is, is there a part of Mage that you worked on that you were the most proud of? I don't know what the best way is to, to go around the horn or if anyone would like to start or, or something that you, uh, you point to and you say, I think I did a good job with this. If you're not comfortable promoting yourself, also, if you have a funny story of something that you think you messed up, we will take that instead if you prefer. Bill, is there something that you're most proud of or uh, enjoyed most about working on Mage? Uh, well, I guess Sons of Ether is my favorite part of it. So yeah, the Sons of the first here, here. book, and then all the uh, stories that I did for Dakion. So, yeah, the Mechanocracy as as a cover for the Technocracy was an amazing idea for for listeners. The Sons of Ether tradition book was one of the early ones, and it kind of set the standard for an epistolary style. That the idea would be on joining a tradition, you would get some sort of introductory material. In this case, it was an issue of Paradigma, issue zero, that just kind of explained the various factions, and it goes back and forth. It's one of the books that probably most thoroughly disagrees with itself, because everything is presented from at least two points of view. Uh, the Order of Hermes, the Celestial Chorus, a lot of other tradition books then took on that method of passing on information, and I think Sons of Ether was the, the first one to present it in that form. Something else that, that, that Bill is probably too humble to mention is that he's the reason I got I got the job. Nice. Well, that, that probably should have been my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Loading it off on the <laughs> Bill hired me for Werewolf about a year earlier, and I started working on Werewolf stuff. And my life was a complete catastrophe at that point. And I called him while they were doing the all hands on deck thing. And I was originally supposed to be writing a book about the technocracy. And I was like, you know, that thing that you do for, for werewolf, I want to do that for mage. And he's like, mm -hmm. no, you don't. And I'm like, no, I, I do. <laughs> and he's like, you have no idea how hard this job is. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> and, and he's like, this is, everything is kind of a mess right now. I'm like, Bill, my life is hell. Anything is an improvement. I want this job. <laughs> so he got me, he opened the door and I stuck my foot in it. And, and well, here we all are. Jackie and Nikki, was there a part of working on Mage that uh, most stood out to you or that you're most proud of? Well, I think we both enjoyed working on Dream Seekers. Personally, I liked the two short stories I did for the Mage anthologies that featured the relationship between a, a celestial chorus, Joanna, and a progenitor named Gideon. And uh, particularly liked the, the character of Joanna because she was an exclaustrated nun. And I wanted to be able to use the word exclaustrated, which is, you know, if you're a nun and you decide you want to leave the convent, you spend a year being exclaustrated, uh, which means you're pretty much still under vows, but you live out in the world. Kicked out of the cloister. <laughs> and uh, you're allowed to, you know, to see if this is really what you want to do. But I just, I just got a kick out of the word. I knew it because I had a, a friend who was, in, in fact, uh, exclaustrated when I was in Boston. So those were kind of my favorites. And Nikki may have something else. 
might have been dream speakers or it might have been that introduction to oh, that the, verbena to the whatever it was that that i called phil on because i said i just don't know what i'm doing i mean what's your name McKinney or whatever and then all these people and they're so good and I'm just so terrible and then, yeah it takes her a year and a half to write it though. It was Kathy Ryan. Yeah, Kathy Ryan. <laughs> read, Nikki read a story by Kathy Ryan and was so freaked out by how perfect her fiction was that she couldn't write. I mean just couldn't. I'm proud I finally got something out for you Phil. <laughs> you, you did. I, I wanted to have Kathy with us as well. And, and I don't know if she's watching or whatever, but I was hoping to have Kathy uh, with us. But yeah, Kathy, Kathy is wonderful. Kathy is one of the, the best writers I've ever worked with. Oh, yeah. And I've worked with a lot of really good people. And the creative process, well, as, as you all know, the creative process is different with everybody. And it took a while, but the results were magnificent. I remember when Nikki was asked to write something for the world's book. She was basically asked to explain the entire mage cosmos. Yes. And oh, do it in 10,000 words. Page second edition. That was yeah, and do it in 10,000 words. That sounds easy enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was for uh, the mage second edition rule book. They, Jackie and Nikki uh, wrote that, that chapter of, you know, step out here and then go here and then go here and then go here. That's that's their work. Yeah, we always did what I call the Bargle stuff. Which came up in the Mage Tarot. Yeah, when we wrote the, the Mage Tarot, um, sometimes we were going through, we wrote the words to it, and we wrote the words to the cards based on looking at the cards and then coming up with some pithy statement to uh, both describe it and to place in the tarot. and its place in the tarot. And so we said it was done by J.M. Mar- Bargle. And J. Bargle, which was uh, the two of us. Because sometimes we would look at a picture and we go, Bargle, bargle, bargle. We don't know what we're doing with this, so let's just say something. <laughs> um, and it actually, it worked out. It worked out, and we found out that it worked as a real tarot. Yeah, even though Phil mm-hmm. was forced to say it wasn't, it is. Yeah, we were still in the we were still in the dregs of the satanic panic at that point, so I, yeah. I had to put a disclaimer on there. there so was, somebody there really chewed me out online about that too. Sorry, what? There was a time when I was literally falling apart from having like four of people, four people who I thought were my best friends, just decide that they were going to shun me because I had offended them uh, by being me, and it literally drove me to the point where I started cutting and. Uh, decided to see we decided to to see a therapist but I kept a journal for a long time and every single night I would do a tarot reading from the mage tarot just to figure out what was going on in my life that helped me keep myself together when really not a whole lot of people understood what I was going through so I guess mage tarot is one yeah (laughs) so and it saved my life too okay so there Uh, Jess, was there anything that, that you were most proud of or sticks out most in your head? I was pretty pleased with how the, the early revised book Bitter Road came out. Part of the shift that revised wanted to do was to look at Mage from the perspective of being an apprentice or an adept, someone who was still coming to grips with entering Mage society and, and what it meant to have this power. And as a result, it was sort of the Spider-Man view of this. You've got these great powers. You can change reality. But in and of themselves, they don't necessarily make you a better person. And they could probably make your life a lot harder (laughs) rather than easier because of all the baggage that comes with it. And there's a a tendency sort of to, to look at the magic of mage and go, wow, there's amazing things that you can do. And you can, you can transform things and you could, 
make people immortal and you can read minds and, and whatnot. But a new novice mage who's just awakened can't do these things and has to learn how to do them and has to make all of these missteps along the way. And really homing in on that sort of idea and saying, how do you make an interesting game that's about the personal journey of the mage? I felt was really, how can I put it? It really, I felt, came together well and gave a good focus on that sort of idea as saying, here's something that we want to focus on. Bitter Road is interesting because you had Initiates of the Art and Masters of the Art, which came out in second edition, and then the Disciples book that came out in Revised. So it was kind of the only one of those that came out across editions. And it proved to be an interesting focal point to uh, to reconsider what, what the game was supposed to be about or what the direction this edition was kind of going to go in. Yeah, and, and it's true that Initiates had previously sort of, of covered the ground of here's what it's like to be new to being a mage. But with Bitter Road, we wanted to sort of get to the idea of, of not just here's what it's like to be a, a novice mage from the perspective of studying magic and what your limitations are with magic and how you learn about your foci and about your paradigm and about overcoming your limitations and dealing with your avatar and whatnot, but also how that affects your life day to day as a person living in the world of darkness. Live, like you're a person who's living in a home with an address, with a job, with bills to pay and whatnot. And then you have this giant pile of metaphysical stuff that is dumped upon you. And what does it mean? And, and how does that affect your character and your, their characterization and their story? Uh, and the idea being that your stories are going to be relevant because they're relevant to things that are important to your character or that trouble them or that are problems for them. And not just because it's like, and today... I learned how to use a forces route so that I can blow up hit marks. And while your character will do these things along the, the way, it is a bitter road learning that there are lots and lots of problems and lots and lots of baggage that come with being an inheritor of a reincarnated power that gives you the ability to reshape reality. Jess, by the way, I think that that is one of the best books of the revised era. I, I also, to give Jess credit because Initiates of the Art and Masters of the Art, or if I'm not mistaken, your work as well. And Jess also fixed what I consider to be the worst book of the line with the Akashic, uh, with with the uh, the Ak the second the revised edition Akashic book, because I still consider to this day the the first edition Akashic Brotherhood book to be uh, an abomination before the gods and. Jess, <laughs> fixed that with a much much better book and well, just oh, oh sorry go ahead. Uh, I, I i gotta say that the reason that i didn't pick that out is because i can't take credit for that that was malcolm's work and, and i'm sorry that he couldn't be here to mention that but he really nailed the idea of like looking at the akashics as this endless cycle of knowledge that has been passed on and on and on and the avatars themselves being caught up in these, these petty grudges and vendettas that people haven't been able to let go of for 6,000 years and replaying the events of the Himalayan War and how the Akashics are like, we're above it all, but really they're, they're human just like everyone else. So that one, I agree with you 100%, but I can't take the credit on it. You did, you did a great job, and I was really, really happy with it. I, I, said, I, I wanted to get Malcolm involved, but, but health-wise, health he wasn't able to. Echo, what was your favorite contribution or project as part of the Mage universe? Cults of Ecstasy, I think. I just really remember really liking doing those pieces. I don't know, but uh, Verbena, I guess. There were certain pieces I liked in each of the books and certain ones I liked, I liked better than others. So I just remember really liking working in Cults of Ecstasy. Nice. Uh, Travis? Was there, a, was there a favorite part of, uh, of the Mage world that you enjoyed working on? Or? 
I think since I was since since I was a a, a kid and, and and first learned how to program, you know, computers, I was amazed at how you could make something from nothing, and you know, and and how just staring at a computer and being able to program it, being able to get you know this this technological device to do exactly what you wanted it to do. As my knowledge increased, and virtual adepts were. It, it, it wasn't a mistake that that's that's what I was drawn to. If you read the dogma of, you know, virtual adepts, that is Travis to his core. Hmm. Because it was magic I could believe. I mean, you know, like I said, when I was 50 years old, you know, when I was in the fifth grade and I, I discovered like systems for magic. And then later on doing design work on Ars Magica, you know, magic was always my thing. And being able to take, you know, technology and, and, and blend it with magic because it truly is, you know, and it, it just gets more relevant every day. Being like at, at the genesis of that was amazing. You know, it was, a, it was a mixture of that and just being in a room when the decision was made that, you know, my character would be on the cover. As a, um, I was very much a contrarian a lot of times at, at, at White Wolf, uh, just because we had a lot of white guys who were always making white characters and justifying things. And I would always say like, you know, well, what about black people? And so, and, and so for me, it was about being seen. There was a reason why they, you know, black people aren't at conventions because we don't see ourselves there. And, and when you see someone else, you know, who's black at a convention, you know, you're, you know, your first, you know, your first impulse is to go, why are you here? Why are you here? You know, and, and, and White Wolf really went a long way in the beginning to be that company that said he, she, they, them, and, and, and recognizing that, you know, people were black, people were Asian, people were gay, people were trans and people were and women. People were women. <laughs> That's yeah, part of the thing I liked about you know, illustrating. And, and, yeah. And, and, and so, and so for me, and to be that key character and, and the last thing is when we had literally four weeks to rewrite mage to something that would be the first edition, it was, Herculean, to say the least. It was tense. And, you know, we told Stuart, hey, dog, we love you. Go sit down. We told, we, we, we told Mark the same thing. Hey, Mark, we love you. Now you go sit down. We've got this. And being in that room and what was, you know, now I know is a scrum from doing a lot of agile management every day with the designers uh, there. And, and just being able to look uh, look to look to my left or look to my right and seeing someone who is extremely gifted and being able to say, hey, how are you doing? And them saying, I got this. There wasn't a question in my mind as to whether or not they had it. They had it. And talking about that and remembering that gives me goosebumps right now because I've been now in games for 30 years and I have never, ever, ever had that high like I had in that room doing Mage, ever. And... In my, in my projects now, I'm telling you, like, you know, I'm in the $100 million range as far as, you know, projects are concerned, and I don't get it. I, you know, it, it, it's just not the same. And so, um, you know, yeah, my character's on the cover, but being in the presence of that greatness when this was going down at the beginning, life-changing. That's one of the things I liked about Mage was doing the diversity, uh, illustrating. You had the freedom to illustrate all different types of people. I love illustrating lots of types of people, you know, all different body types. If you know my work, I've, uh, I have um, just all different body types, all different types, all types of relationships. And I've always loved doing that. And that was one of the things about Mage. I get to really explore that. And so that was uh, still in my work. So, <laughs> All perspectives are valid. Amen. And that's dope.
so we had Mark join. Uh, Mark, would you please introduce yourself uh, and say how you got involved in Mage and maybe uh, a part of it that you worked on that you're most proud of? Started with Tales of the White Wolf. Uh, Rich, it was that was actually kind of fun because uh, I'm sitting in the office with Rich. We're talking about Mage and sort of the, well, the, the whole line that had come out up to that point. I think it was like 1994. And he goes over to his desk, pulls out the original Brahm artwork, the Tales of the White Wolf. I'm holding Elric. I'm holding original artwork by Brahm. Brahm. My favorite character. Yeah. And I'm looking at the door and I'm looking at Rich and I'm looking at the door and I'm like, I think I can get to that door. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But then he just started talking about when can you start? And I said, uh, ASAP. And he said, well, I'll give you a couple of weeks to do an Elric. And so I had to rush back home and I skipped graduation, which way was sort of like the icing on the cake because uh, for some reason, all through education, my teachers never, well, most of my professors never liked the fact that I was a fantasy artist or that I was interested in fantasy art. So the fact that I could basically skip out on my graduation, I mean, I was going to get my diploma and everything. So I was just like, screw you guys, I'm working and did Elric, then got Iteration X, and it was just space trucking from there. Mage is easily my favorite, that point in my career, point arguably even in my, in my life, that from which so many things flowed. It really was a wells, wellspring. You know, I got to know the White Wolf guys, like friends. Phil became my brother, and yeah, absolutely, mad love, Phil. And I just worked on some of my favorite favorite projects. I thought, oh, I like this Iteration X stuff. I like I like Cyberpunk. Uh, what I didn't realize is that I really love the Sons of Ether. Once I got the Sons of Ether, I said to Rich, anything Sons of Ether, just give it to me. I'll take it. I'll do it. Because I, I really love that that genre because it's just everything, you know, fits in it from from H.G. Wells to Ghostbusters. It all sort of, you know, worked really well on a personal end of things. But on a collaborative cult of ecstasy was an amazing ride. I really, really enjoyed Cult of Ecstasy. And then from the collaborative, just, you know, Phil and I, brainstorming about so many different things and talking. I think the creation of like the Ingoma, if you remember Phil, like some of the, yeah. the from the Sorcerer's Crusade. Yeah, I mean, we just created these things from arguably whole cloth and people looked at them as though, you know, they're looking up the National Geographic to see these, you know, these different groups of people that technically don't exist. Yes, yeah. You know, as though they were real. And I think that's, that's wonderful. And I think it's part and parcel of like the game itself. I have friends who eschew the world of darkness. I think it's too real for them. But when looking at mage, they said, I think you pretty much have to be a mage to play this game. And I said, um, sure. And why not ascend while playing it? Because it seemed like that was the whole point of the game is not just <laughs> to pretend you're somebody else. But to be somebody, you know, I don't write, but I, you know, I do enjoy the art and the writing of it. And I think that happens when you create it. I mean, we're all just a cabal of sorcerers in a way, applying our creative trade to make something new. My name is Mark Jackson, and it's a common name. There is another Mark Jackson artist out there, apparently, who works for Marvel. So you might want to do Mark Jackson, comma, White Wolf or Mark Jackson, comma, a mage. Uh, I think Phil introduced you to me and Nikki years ago. Like I said, everything's a couple of years ago. So a couple of years ago. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20 or 30 years ago at this yeah. point. Yeah. We were introduced and I have never forgotten you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I remember that was, I think, early on. I think when I was either just getting to Atlanta back in maybe 2000. Does that sound about right? Something like that. Before that, because I was, I was well, we had gone some from White Wolf deep, by that. I pretty deep oh, conversations. Okay, so, I think this was okay, like, so we're talking like 90. Oh, yeah, like I guess you're right. You're right. The yeah, it was, volcanoes were smoking on the horizon and pteranodons still dotted the sky. So I, <laughs> yeah, I don't do dates anymore. I mean, I, I just, I gave up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the gauntlet had not yet risen. Um, yeah. yeah, everything was a couple of years ago.
satirist? Is it possible across your 3 million words to pick a part that you're most proud of, if anything? All of this. I mean, just the fact that all of us are here, that I know you all, that I've, I work with you all and I love you all. And I, I love the fans and I, and I love Mage and, and, and Terry, you know, for, for doing Mage the podcast. And I mean, it's all of it. I am known for lots and lots and lots of words, but I don't have words for how this feels. I think synergy works. I think that's a, that's a word that works for me. And I, I equate this from an RPG standpoint or just from the idea of putting a concept together and getting it off the ground. I, you know, this is to me like NASA, you know, like a moonshot. It's like all these different people got together, shared a vision while at the same time bringing their own to the game and made something that was more than the sum of the parts. Well I want to give credit uh, to some of, the, some of the folks. Well, I want to give credit to everybody, obviously. But um, when I first got the, the the copy of the the, the big purple book and, <laughs> and and Ken Cliff you know handed it to me uh, I was like how much creative freedom do I have with this what, what can I do and he says it's all yours but we don't have the slightest idea what to do with it and at the beginning I didn't really either it was like wow this is great what the fuck oh my fucking god <laughs> at one point uh, Brian and Kathy Ryan and I were living together and the three of us were sometimes up till literally dawn hashing through this this mind-bending shit that you could you know only talk about at five o'clock in the morning when your brain was tired <laughs> enough to actually let go I, I, as I remember it the idea of marauders becoming so detached from the, the from consensual reality that they literally fell through it as I seem to recall that's something that Kathy and I came up with at like dawn one, one morning when we were living together but just I couldn't one I mean obviously I couldn't have done this without y'all at in the very very early days when I didn't have the slightest idea what I was doing one Bill you were my mentor when I Bill poor Bill's office was down the hall from I like Bill how the fuck do I do this I just deleted everything I wrote fuck please I had no idea how to use a goddamn computer at that point. <laughs> it was like teaching me that. I was also simultaneously writing the Black Furies tribe book for him while also with Steve Brown and Jim Moore writing the uh, the book of Chantries for Mage, which was the first Mage book under my uh, imprimatur. And Bill was unbelievably patient and unbelievably helpful in just helping me keep from completely losing my shit. And we, we had a mentorship thing back in the old days where the previous White Wolf line developer would show the next line developer how to do the job. And Andrew showed Bill, Bill showed me, I showed Jen, and Jen showed Ian. So there was that definitely that passing of passing of, of the torch and passing of, of experience. <laughs> Hard won experience by really long hours. One <laughs> tradition of taking developers and dropping them right off and saying, here you go. I mean, when I came into the werewolf, there was this whole, you know, okay, the next book up is Rite of Passage, Sam's written most of it, and then right after that, there you've got well, Book of the Worm. So I talked to the author who's doing Book of the Worm, and he says over the phone, I'm not doing that book. I don't know what you're talking about. And, um, this is due out in like January and it's September. What the hell? <laughs> um, you know, that was the story of White Wolf. <laughs> you know, I went the ball and you ran with it really well. On that. I, I can I, I can tell you that Bill had always been with Zen Master, though, which I found extremely funny because you know here he is writing about raging werewolves the whole time, and I was like, you know, have I ever seen Bill freak the fuck out? I don't know if I have, but you know, um, it was always the Mountain Buddha. 
yeah, so, you know, this is sort of my reality crumbling to some degree, you know, because I always looked at Phil like, he's got to know what's going on here, right? Like, I mean, you know. This is funny because Sam told me when I came down for the, uh, for the interview, this was uh, Dragon Con 93, which at that point, Dragon Con was before Gen Con. And I came down for the interview for Dragon Con, and he just, Sam comes up and he says, you're the guy. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm the guy? And he, he says, we did kind of a, a, a ritual to focus. He said things were really kind of crazy when we were putting the mage book together. And he said a couple of us got together and we did this thing and we asked for somebody who would kind of help the pieces fit together. And he says, and you're the guy. I'm like, thank you. I don't know if I have the job <laughs> yet, but thank you. Did you get a hat or anything? Or, or <laughs> like a stave of office? Or The funny, the funny thing is, and, and the, the folks who worked in the office can, um, can vouch for this, is like about a third of us, I think at the time, um, work barefoot. And my introduction to Brian Campbell was him coming up to me. I, I think I'd taken my shoes off or something. He says, ah, fellow shoe shunner. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam was one of them as well. And, and he, and that's, that's around the time when he's like, like, you're the guy. I don't know. Maybe if it's cause I was barefoot. I, I don't remember this cause I don't think I was barefoot when I came for the job interview, but it was something about that. But I just I think I remember, remember you ever Brian. wearing shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, it was a culture of weirdness. I mean, I remember like when we're, we're in a house in Stone Mountain. There's a knock at the door and we answer the door. It's Rob Hatch. And I don't know how he <laughs> found us, but he just basically <laughs> said, you need an editor. <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, okay. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I think that was basically the sum total of the damn interview. You know, Rob was always on time. You know, this was this was around the time when uh, the Rodney King riots happened, and you know, and Rob was wasn't in the office, and we're like, "Where's Rob?" And then he eventually showed up, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I was rioting." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, <laughs> that's Rob." Bob that's Hatch true. intimidated the heck out of me for the time. <laughs> Until he asked us to write Hong Kong by night, and we found out how squirrely, you know, the world really was. Now, before I came on, I was told by Andrew that Rob would show up with candy because he was working at the mall at a candy shop. <laughs> and imagine that, buying candy for Rob Hatch. <laughs> Anybody who's met Rob Hatch knows how funny that is. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's killing me. Oh my he god. He showed up at one at one Gen Con wearing a, a Mexican wrestler's mask. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I had the I had the hardest time talking to him through that. <laughs> I love his elder Shriner. I like, you know, when I was living in, in Atlanta, every once in a while at the chamber, he'd show up and he'd be dressed like this Shriner, but he would have the king in yellow <laughs> on the elder star. And I just started calling him and it was on a fez and I just started calling him the elder Shriner. For those of you who know Tad McDivitt, who's worked on, uh, Tad is now a 33rd degree Mason and he, he loves his regalia. He actually, he got the Asheville chapter to accept and include the Mabinogen as part of their liturgy. The last person going around the horn, uh, James, your your uh, CV isn't quite as illustrious, but is there a part of your work that you've been most proud of or glad to add to the game? I was thinking about this the whole time, and I can't compare <laughs> to any of these stories. I am so humble in this company. But one of the things, I think probably the one moment working on the line that delighted me the most was, I think it was within hours of 20th, 
being released when we had that huge backlash on 4chan about us being uh, a, a bunch of oh, yeah. a bunch of like ridiculous SJWs who all of a sudden cared about like trans lives and black lives like going going just nuts about it and I was all like, of a sudden like oh, I know no that's the best part of it the best part was like oh all of a sudden have you not read any mage books but also like also the, the other part of that Satan and I were talking at while it was happening and we were like you know when you have this giant angry thread on 4chan that you that you've arrived <laughs> like, 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 that, you, what else can you say like that's 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 something like i wish i could put that on my like dossier of like here's the things that i that i've been involved with like i think <laughs> and i remember talking to phil about this and you know and, and the first thing i was thinking is have they not read one fucking white wolf book like what the entire fuck like you know like i can't say that we invented it but damn if we, you know, if, if this wasn't our creed, and if you're not down, put the book down, motherfucker, and walk away. I was so happy when I realized that, yes, you could create a gay character as part of the canon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Please do. Yeah. And I remember back when they had decency wars with TSR, Nikki had been at that point contracted to write the, the Green Book series ancient cultures and and she was given uh, ancient greece and she was told you know there were two basic rules you could not mention slavery and you could not mention homosexuality now write the book we had books come back from the printers because they refused to print them because of our objectionable material. And a lot of it had to do with these progressive ideas. And so that's why when this popped up, you know, I was just like, these people don't know half of the shit that White Wolf went through, <laughs> you know, to, to, to get this done. Nikki I feel and Jackie like- created uh, Painted Horse, who is a trans contrary in, uh, in Mage and created Painted Horse in what was that, 95, 96? that I feel like this ties nicely back to that comment back at the beginning of the the, the chat here about all of the, the designers at White Wolf being people who in, in small ways or big ways were outsiders to some degree. And so, of course, we wind up working on games where you're playing monsters and outsiders and people who don't fit in regular society. And even those of us who don't necessarily have those lived experiences of being from one of these groups are at the very least sympathetic to them or believe that hey those people are are people too and they should be recognized if i feel like i had some bad times for being a nerd gosh how much worse can it be for people who actually have to suffer through systemic problems in our society and and all of us came with that preloaded sort of idea that we were being given an opportunity to speak on behalf of people who had felt like outsiders who had felt marginalized in some way, who had felt that they had never gotten to be represented or, or been forced to live on the fringes of society. And for, for someone like me, it was in, in little tiny ways. But, but for other people in this group, even, there are, were huge ways to, to be cast as an outsider. And then to be able to turn around and say, like, now it's our turn to speak up and to be heard and to be seen. How could anyone be surprised at right. these sorts of notions. And, and it was validating. It was validating. It, it, because if you were to White Wolf or you were to have any of these supplements or, or whatever, uh, you know, I defy any of these collective authors not to, like every one of us has had uh, that moment where someone has come up to us and said, thank you for seeing me. I know it. I don't even have to ask the question. I know it's true. For those yeah. of you who, you know, I, I think everybody probably knows by now, but Nikki and I have been 
a couple for about 50 years now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) We never made a big deal of it. And the people who wanted to see it, it was there. And the people who didn't want to see it, like half of my family, Nikki was practically a member of the family. She was, you know, you know, we've lived our whole lives that way. And just said, you know, here we are, take us or yeah. leave us. Gay women in the North Carolina mountains in the 50s. Fun. Oh, my God. We didn't even know exactly what we were and, and kind of had to learn. My teacher, actually, uh, what it meant to be gay was James Baldwin, reading wow. his books. Yeah. And my thing goes even further back because I'm adopted. My family was all blonde and blue Blue-haired, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed, and here I had, you know, curly, 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 even darker than this, dark hair, and then when I was about seven years old, we were at the country club. My mom sent me out to get her purse from the car. They wouldn't let me back in. They thought I was black, and for everything that I know, I am part black and part Indian as well as part Caucasian. I know what it feels like to be discriminated against just because of the color of your skin, and that was because I'd just been tanning in the sun and stuff. And that was my true natural color. Now I can't do it because I'm allergic to the sun, but you know. I want to give credit to Travis also for uh, an article that he had written for uh, White Wolf magazine, which came out right around the time that I started at White Wolf. And I have a copy of it around someplace. I don't remember the issue number, but it was specifically calling the gaming industry out on racist bullshit and saying, you know, fuck you, we're, we're more than gangsters and tribesmen. And, you know, we game too. And and I was like, he is absolutely fucking right. And I want to say, like, uh, you know, Jackie and Nikki, what you were was happy. Yeah. And that's the shit. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, we didn't know not to be. <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> say there is a hypothetical where uh, Paradox says, hey, we want a slew of more M20 books. And they approach you for a pitch. Is there one more mage book you would like to write or like to see written? Yeah. James got it. I would, Aging I would, mage. <laughs> I would love to have done the Dis- I mean, Disparate Alliance. We had it. We started working on it, and it, it got it got the note from the rights holders. But uh, and I really would have loved to have done a book for the traditions, like we were doing with for the technocracy. I even had a, a, t- a title for it, which was uh, Traditions Restored or Traditions Reborn. I forget which. I had it written down at one point. It's a moot point. There's still a slight possibility that James, Rochelle, Isabella, Heromi, and I might do a Disparate Alliance book for the Storytellers Vault. Something like that would be a gargantuan undertaking, and it would have to sell in numbers that would justify getting that, that amount of work. And the we'd also have to commission art because there's not enough uh, existing art available in the archives to do that book properly. But I would still really love to do that book. And so, yeah, that, that would... That would be the Traditions book also, but especially Disparate Alliance. The word count started creeping skyward on Mage 20. I had looked at what I'd been, you know, what I'd commissioned and what I'd written and just gone, fuck, where can I cut stuff? And I was looking at the Disparates. I'm going, no. And I just said, you know, this, to me, the, the Disparates, 
were kind of the core of the this is a mage for now because the the techno the technocracy is painfully 90s we actually tried to do a techno technocratic reorg and again uh, rights holders which was ccp at that point said no but and the traditions as we all are familiar with have pluses and minuses and blind spots and oh my fucking god what were we thinking but the disparates were to me the group that really needed to be represented and rep and, and be representing most so I was like, I'm not going to cut that. I'll, I'll start chainsawing other shit, but I'm not cutting that. And I wish we could have done more with it. And I hope someday we get to. Bill or Jess, was there anything that, that you would like to have seen added to the canon or one idea that you really would have liked to have seen explored? Oh, Bill. Oh, geez. I don't know. Um, more Sons of Ether. Society of Ether. Excuse me. You're <laughs> here. From Mark or Echo, is there a, like an art piece or anything that, that you've had growing in your head that you just wish someone would tap you on the shoulder and say, Mage needs your art. <laughs> there's always more art to make <laughs> if you ask me that I'm like ooh I want to do more more Jordy Blake <laughs> on space octopuses yeah um, yeah yeah. I got a lot of I got a lot of blowback actually strangely from that uh, there were like some people that were following my work and really liked where I was going and they said this is oddly salacious why Why are you doing this <laughs> I was asked to do it this is you know I, apart from the leeway that Rich was, was great about giving me creatively was very specific they wanted jody blake on an octopus roughly lovecraftian and i thought well how's that and they liked it i liked it but strangely some people thought that was a little too sexist i like the term i'm kind of stuck at the term strangely salacious uh, or oddly <laughs> salacious that just kind of stopped me in my tracks like let me think about that the that's octopus doesn't seem to be minding it i'm just saying <laughs> from illustrations too didn't you oh i always got crap from illustrations i always have too much nudity in my pieces if it doesn't come back and they don't say well, can you cover this nipple a little bit you know then, then i did it wrong so um i want to say i've oh, enjoyed no, watching the evolution of your work over the over the years i've really enjoyed that thanks thanks i was Absolutely. thinking uh while you guys have all been talking i was thinking about how uh, mages affected my art and honestly i think it was all that freedom to be able to do whatever I wanted to illustrate all different types of people and all different types of relationships, everything. I just, I've done that my whole career and I love doing that. And I think it's really important. I mean, artists sort of help set the tone for what everything else is out there. Like when I got onto Shadowrun, I looked at it and I thought, geez, there's not a lot of black people or Asian people, except for the token Yakuza in the background, on the covers. And I'm like, that, that's, that's unacceptable. So I started just like, you know, no, we're making the main character, you know, this or that or you know I, I just like throwing all different diversities all different weights and all different ages even and i think that it's maybe my my early work in mage that really really lent me to realizing how important that was and i'm still doing it now in my in my pieces sir I, you know I, I like a lot of diversity because because i like drawing all different types of people and you have a Patreon at Current, correct? That people who are interested can follow. We'll do, uh, before we wind down, everyone can promote their current works, but the, you are still very much producing um, Oh, yes. Uh, I, 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 did a, I did advertising for a long time and I've done, um, my, started doing my own pieces. And then I decided uh, just recently, actually, mostly because of what's been going on, that I hadn't planned to do this for a couple of years, um, but I decided that I would do what I've always wanted to do, with, which is to do my Patreon of even more 
sexy work. I think that um, like sexy and erotic work can be classy. It doesn't have to be like raunchy or anything. So I've been really exploring that in my work and I have a lot of themes going on. I've uh, recently partnered with the author PC Cast and I have a lot of themes going on with, with nature. And it's still very magey, you know, because <laughs> I have like, you know, a lot of the pieces just, you just see the mage influence in it. Everything um, is magey. Everything is magey, right. So I look at it and I go, yeah, that really did affect my work. I can't believe that. So the, the Patreon is um, Excalibur Project. So oh, you can find it, Mike. We will include everything, things. everything in our rather extensive show notes. Kind of uh, sexy, though. Yeah. Nudity. So some nipples in there. So be careful. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Terry, I just realized I didn't quite fully answer your question as to what I would like to do. I think okay. if you recall from Sons of Ether, there was a there was a, a horizon, I believe, called the Gernsback Continuum. Yes. I would not mind doing sort of like a Tom Kidd esque, if you're familiar with his work, sort of view of the Gernsback Continuum. Just. Like just to sort of lay it all out, everything, all things ether in one in one shot. You know, guys with with jetpacks. You know, guys with like steampunk. Sort of the mixture of like anything, everything from steampunk to as like like I said, Ghostbusters to you know proton gliders. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I've never really done a landscape piece. I think that would be a big challenge for me. We should Yo, follow up on that. Yeah. That may be something that we can bring into existence, depending on price. Because that sounds pretty badass. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I want to see that now. Yeah, bye bye. But one of the things, uh, Jackie, you had mentioned, uh, was it aging mages? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's something that has occupied a lot of a lot of my time. I was kind of, you know, basically okay in the sixty, you know, sixty decade, but turning 70, which I did last July, and I'm up, you know, coming up on 71 if something doesn't get me first, but turning 70 really did a job on me. You know, I've spent a lot of nights crying. I've spent a lot of nights regretting or wishing I was like 30 again. Uh, But like I said, not 30 now. (laughs) That would scare the heck out of me. When you have, you know, a lot of protesting in the streets of Asheville, North Carolina, you know, the world has come to us. But the whole aging process, watching your physical facilities diminish, both Nikki and I suffer from a number of issues that put us in that uh, high risk range for COVID, you know, 19. But there's also, uh, we both suffer from a lot of uh, chronic pain, which I think a, a lot of people don't take into account these days. But it, it just saps the strength out of you and, and learning or trying to figure out how to deal with that. You know, if you can imagine a mage dealing with uh, physical issues when they can't quite fix it and having to do it gracefully and courageously when all they want to do is like huddle up in a corner and cry a lot. I think that's something I would like to see tackled. You're here. Sort of that's... the other end of the becoming a mage, the, the young, it's... the youngster becoming a mage and understanding the powers and stuff is figuring out ways around things as you age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like we... Um, both Nikki and I developed Changeling, and of course, we're involved in the Immortal Eyes trilogy. And now, you know, we're both tending towards becoming grumps and then, you know, losing it, losing it all together. Grumps as opposed to grumpy. But that feeling that the special nature of the world you knew is slipping away from you, and you can't quite grab it and hang on to it, yet that's what you really want to do. And also that you went through all of this 
earlier and it should have been corrected then and somehow it wasn't and why that why it's come back around and what you can do this time to make it better it's like this whole thing with with the police and all that stuff and then everything with COVID, it's like, we went through this before, and we thought we were changing it, and it just didn't change enough. It's it's interesting, if it, you know, bringing this back to, like, old White Wolf, I, I remember, you know, during Vampire, you know, I used to say, like, the best ventures are really old Bruja. <laughs> nice. Hey, and back when I was at White Wolf, I was hella militant, now nearly 50, and so I just don't solve things the, the same way. Telling a story from that perspective, just what you ladies were describing, sounded really interesting, right? Because well, Al Stewart, I don't know if any of you are familiar with his music, but Al Stewart did a song called Old Admirals. And the line in it is, old admirals who feel the wind and never put to sea. And it's basically the story of someone who gets too old to do his job anymore and basically sees life pass him by. But you saw things differently. Right. And being sort of now the elder statesman and, you know, I look at, you know, younger people and I go, well, you know, I wouldn't solve it that way. But I let them make their mistakes before I come in and help. You know, you can't really convince, quote unquote, enlightened people that you've done this before. Instead of warning them against it, I have gotten to the point now where I just speed them on their way to disaster so that they can learn it the hard way. (laughs) Uh, like, we each have our disasters right yeah. that concept sounds it sounds really cool which you know and, and i've taken that to heart in, in in my profession now which is i don't say i know i say that i strongly suspect right mm. um because i don't ever want to be that old person that says well i've been doing it this way for so long and you know well you know you could have been wrong right but you know to take that and put that in a mage perspective i mean i think that's a that's that's interesting. You know, someone recently awakened versus someone who who has been that way for 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 quite some time. How do they how do they both approach you know these problem solvings? Travis, you bring up an interesting point that I remember rereading Virtual Depths, the first tradition book, and looking through the section and seeing how cool and awesome Dante was, and going from a progenitor lab rat, and then in Digital Web 2.0, Dante is kind of like this elder statesman, and realizing reading it in 2020, Dante's in his fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's interesting that Mage is also in that position of being an elder, well-established game, and sometimes the the system shows it. So it would be fascinating to see what that is. And fingers crossed for a for a well-done Mage Fifth Edition. Uh, maybe they'll figure out how to make a video game out of it to support it or what have you. But uh, we, we have, have to figure out how to age our changeling characters <laughs> that we yeah left for thirty years. You know, funny yeah. years, most of them. Yeah. Talk about being ahead of the curve and so forth. And and like Travis, you were mentioning earlier, the Matrix. Fucking Morpheus, man. Yeah. <laughs> you were there yeah. five years earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, we have gone on for three hours. Thank you so much. Uh, for your time. I am by no means ending the conversation, but at least if anyone needs to depart, if we want to go around the horn and just say where we can follow you or what projects you're working on now, uh, Satyrus, if you want to keep the conversation going off to that, that is fine. But again, it's been three hours and you're all very busy people. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you, Terry. Mark Jackson. Uh, I'm Don't Age Robot on Facebook, Lala Pazuzu on Instagram. And I've got a book out that a friend of mine put out called Fantasia. It's basically a pinup book, a sci-fi fantasy pinup book. Uh, I believe you can find it on Amazon.com, Fantasia with a P-H-A-A-N-T-A-S-I-A, Fantasia. 
Komoda.com, K-I-M-O-T-A.com uh, is another web place to find some of my artwork. Echo? Um, I'm Echo Chernick on Facebook and Instagram, C-H-E-R-N-I-K. And uh, I have the Patreon, as you said. It's uh, patreon.com slash the Excalibur Project, T-H-E-X-C-A-L-I-B-E-R project.com. That'll link right over to us. That's kind of cool. So Thank you so much. Uh, Jess? So I'm currently working as a senior designer over at Cryptic Studios on Star Trek Online, uh, where I've been for many years. So back in video games. Uh, so if you want to see my work, go check out Star Trek Online. It is free to play on PC and Xbox and PS4. And aside from that, uh, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter under my full name, Jesse Heinig. So feel free to come and see what sort of shenanigans I've been getting up to. Sorry for calling you Jess this whole time when it's Jesse. Um, Either one is fine. (laughs) With the power of uh, editing, I will change all the times I have said that. So (laughs) Makes no difference to me. I actually went by Jess while I was at White Wolf. I tend to go more by Jesse these days, but it doesn't really make too much of a difference to me. And uh, Jesse has a wonderful Twitter account. I've been following it for a while, and it has has a whole bunch of little gems that get just dropped into there. Bill, what are you up to? Uh, I, I know you recently did... Fading Suns, uh, among a number of other projects, but what's in the what's in the pipe now? Uh, well, still more Fading Suns. We got more books coming out. We had a successful Kickstarter for the uh, new edition, and uh, people can still up until tomorrow. I think you got about twenty four hours left. Go to gameontabletop.com to do a late pledge to get all those Kickstarter items. After that, you'll be able to get it through the uh, Ulysses store, but. Uh, not a, there's some items that are exclusive to that Kickstarter. So last chance within 24 hours. And uh, otherwise, people can follow me on Facebook under my name, Bill Bridges, B Bridges on Twitter, uh, website bill-bridges.com. Thank you. Uh, Travis? So uh, like I said, I am uh, the VP of game development at Lightstorm Entertainment. Everything that is Avatar is, uh, you know, gaming-wise is is under my purview. I, I really don't have to give you a URL for that because because next year <laughs> you will not be able to escape the the tidal wave that is Avatar. So, <laughs> so from mobile games to PC console games, you know, all those things uh, I'm responsible for. Sort of on the side though, um, I am um, I'm doing this project. We call it Tech Nubians. Uh, so it's T E C H N zero zero B I A N S. Uh, so tech Nubians, it's, uh, me and some fellow, uh, black engineers and artists and, and whatnot. And we always get asked the same questions a lot of times, like, how did you get into gaming? You know, how do you get deals? How do you get those things? And so we're starting a podcast. We've got about six episodes now that, that we've done, we're going to be releasing pretty soon. And it's going to be a weekly thing where we're taking people and you don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a person of color in order to enjoy it. Obviously we just did it because we feel like we just don't have that representation. And we're, we're, we're trying to take the new people who want to create magic and, and show them how. So I'm trying to become Dante in real life. Jackie and Nikki. My uh, biggest project is getting out of bed in the morning. <laughs> We're working on a book of all things fairy for Two Kings Games, uh, Randy Price. He actually, I put out a plea at one point when we were several in need of several thousand dollars to just, you know, have some major repairs and go on with stuff. And we had zilch. And I just finally, you know, went on 
Facebook and said, you know, if there are any of you out in freelance country willing to hire me, we really need the money. And uh, Randy Price jumped on it and sent us a chunk of cash that we desperately needed. Uh, another friend of ours, Leah Robin, who, who works for the CDC in Atlanta, wanted us to consult with her on a Shadowrun game. Which, which Nikki did the, the both of the work on and I came up with a few characters. But, you know, that's, that's essentially the one, what we've been doing. Yeah, the book on the, the Fae is the Fae Realms of sort of a book that is based on Norse mythology, if you will. So Nice. That's but it's cool. including Fae from all kinds of different places. But, um, you know, I have, a, I have a presence on Facebook under my name, Jackie Cassida. I don't have any podcasts or, in, or I, I, I think I may have Instagram and Twitter accounts, but I don't really use them that much. I've been trying to convince Nikki to get back on Facebook. Um, they keep telling me I don't exist, so, you know. I, if, if I'm a virtual inept, she's a virtual inepter. Uh, <laughs> the 10th tradition yeah <laughs> oh, no. my current favorite joke is there are currently three kinds of people those who can count and those who can't <laughs> I love it. Uh, james where can we find you i'm on facebook as james f sombrano on patreon is jf sombrano i i think i'm on twitter is jf because I made that account a long time ago. Satan and I are both working on the other technocracy book that's coming out. That's a big one. Well, I mean... Dossier. The Dossier, that's right. We're working on that. Uh, but the big project I'm working on right now is Werewolf 5th Edition, one of the primary writers on that. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm having... I'm, I'm, having, I'm writing... <laughs> don't mess hey. up the si hey 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 don't mess right. up the silent striders okay well listen listen um i'm not the primary person on them but i early on was like i want to get on the striders because uh, like it's kind of obvious like anyone who who knows much about me is like oh is james working on werewolf fifth edition then obviously he's working on the pure tribes but like i was like can i, can I write on like silent striders too because i feel like there's so much room to talk about like like black diaspora and that am i don't even pronounce that right because i always read it diaspora diaspora um the, you could tell when people are more readers right when speakers um <laughs> and uh and i'm like and, and like so much it gets it gets skipped and like there's like a lot of uh historically there's been like some questionable writing about like romani and stuff like that with them and i'm like let's just talk about like africa and like and like you know your home like not everything africa needs to be egypt because that's right. like so problematic in and of itself so i don't know i don't know how much i'm going to be able to get in there that way but i i'm trying to give them my love i'm like i'm like the secondary writer on them so i'm trying real hard to give them my love make it happen and finally <laughs> satiros where can we find you patreon.com phil brucato and i didn't even know you had a patreon <laughs> yeah yeah i got a i got a patreon and i got a lot of stuff on there i said and i've been <laughs> doing everything from mini games and micro games to excerpts from novels i'm working on to commentary to pictures of what books i'm reading that week and the big thing that i have coming out very soon is just published mage made easy just about a month ago on uh, drive through rpg and 
I've got uh, Valhalla with a Twist of Leaf, which is a collection of my self-owned short fiction, which is coming out where we've currently got it in layout. Uh, Sherry Baker's doing the graphic design and layout uh, for that one now. But that's uh, a collection of some of the stuff that I've done that is not work for hire, not White Wolf, not uh, uh, Delirium. Well, there's some Delirium there because I own that. But short fiction, which I originally began as a journalist and a short fiction writer and games just sort of, again, by way of Bill, games sort of just became a gig that I'm still doing 28 years <laughs> later. And I am on Twitter uh, under Sotoros Brucato uh, at, at twitter.com. Uh, I have a both Facebook page, both an author page, which is Sotoros uh, Brucato, and the uh, my regular Facebook page, which I try to just keep to personal stuff although i do mention my 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 professional stuff on there as well which is just phil brucato because somebody convinced facebook six or seven years ago that Sotoros phil brucato is not my my real name even though i've been publishing under it now for uh, a decade and a half and mm -hmm. i also have and which actually echo is part of this as well i have a novel coming out shortly that echo is going to be doing the cover for yes which is we need to talk about that today <laughs> well, what? Oh, it's What's it's a novel, it? Red Shoes. It's an urban fantasy novel that related to, and actually, uh, kind of a sequel to my old web comic that Brian Simon and I used to do, which uh, which was which was Arpeggio. This is a, a follow up to it about five years after Arpeggio, featuring Megan's best friend Janae. And Janae kind of realized doing the, the the life transition between um, I'm like this. I play this hero on World of Warcraft to holy shit. Magic is real. I was in denial about this. Holy fuck. I'm in the middle of it now. Yipe. And that one's finished. It was edited by Laura Ann Gilman some time ago. And I've been shopping it around. And then when COVID hit, all the, the publishers went kind of into freeze and the bookstores shut down. So I was like, you know, I don't want to wait six or eight years for this book to come out. If it ever comes out, I'm going to fucking put the thing out myself. So uh, I said, Mage Wise uh, said, I have Mage Made Easy. I am currently juggling a few uh, Mage projects, again, for Storyteller's Vault. Thank you for everybody because the Storyteller's guy, uh, Storyteller's Vault rather, has done really, really well for me. And I thank everybody who has bought Mage Made Easy. Uh, because that's proved very successful, and so I'm going to be doing some more. And with that, James, Bill, Jackie, Nikki, Sateros, uh, Jesse, Echo, Travis, Mark, uh, thank you so much for all you've done for Mage and the Mage community and the cumulative hundreds of thousands of hours and enjoyment you've made possible. You've been listening to Mage the Podcast. You can subscribe to our show on Spotify, Anchor, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, or the podcatcher of your choice. If you like us, please give us a review on the platform you're choosing and tell some of your friends about us. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash podcast, and you can also give us your thoughts and feedback over email at madesthepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at madesthepodcast. If you'd like to support us and get a cool chat color in Discord and get secret access to the other RPG projects I'm doing, go to madesthepodcast.com and click on Become a Supporter of Mades the Podcast. Once you do, tell me in Discord and I'll give you access to everything. Also, go to madesthepodcast.com for show notes and all our previous shows. Special thank you in this episode to James Sombrano for helping with all the Zoom stuff and just kind of keeping everything on track. I appreciate it. And with that, bye.